Welcome back to The Cypher, where you get to hear from creators across the global Black diaspora about how and why they're leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm your host, Christabel Nsiabwadi. On today's show, we are taking the mic to Los Angeles, but by way of Detroit, which is where today's guest, Tonya Mosley, was born and raised. If that name sounds familiar to you, it's because we've had her on the show before, which really means that the show is a first in some ways because she's the first guest that we've had twice. But you know, she's so good, it was just worth doing. Tonya, for those who are unfamiliar, is the host of the award-winning podcast, Truth Be Told. And for our US listeners, she is also now the co-host of the show Fresh Air, which is super, super exciting news. Back in October 2022, we discussed how she examines pathways towards Black liberation and joy. We also shared our experiences as Black journalists, and we talked about what it meant to be empathetic, open, and vulnerable. Now, I bring that up because Tonya clearly meant what she said when she was talking about being open and vulnerable, because she has a new season of her podcast, Truth Be Told. And in this season which premiered in April, she focuses on psychedelic therapies and their potential to heal the deep, deep trauma of being at the sharp end of racism in America. And as she shared her experiences, I understood the pain that she was carrying with her. And even though my experience wasn't like hers, I definitely understood how she felt. After hours of listening to those episodes, that show never left me. I'm still thinking about it now. Tonya Mosley, Thank you so much for joining the show. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to be on your show again. And thank you so much for those words that you shared. I have mixed (laughs) feelings even hearing you because I know, I know that the, the pain that we carry, and I also know what having a mirror, um, shown to yourself Mm. feels like it's, I didn't expect it. You know, um, I know that we all carry, um, our own scars and wounds and they don't necessarily look the same. Um, but I think it was the moment in which you said that you ran away from the city that broke your heart. I went, Oh, that's when I started to feel shouted at Mm -hmm. because I think it was in that moment you start, I, I kind of started to see that, um, the reasons for, there weren't the only reasons as to why you've achieved what you want to achieve. You love what you do. But there's there's an emotionality that right. that probably propels you. If you're anything like me, I left London. I say to people, there's a reason why I don't live in London anymore, people, right? There's a reason mm-hmm. why yep. the years when yeah. I went back, it was very, very hard for me. And I was very resistant to um, the idea of living there, you know? And I came up with all of the reasons and the excuses, but ultimately it was because it was a place that I loved but it was a place that broke my heart. And so when you said that, I was like, oh no. And so this idea of, and this is one of the themes that you touch on in the show of, um, you may not use the word, but I will use it, working or hustling your way through it made sense to me because I envisioned it way back in the day. I don't see that now. And we talked about this on the other show of, If I work hard enough, if I become powerful enough, if I become influential enough, then I will be safe, which is, um, which is a message that our parents gave us because ultimately our parents told us work twice as hard to get half as far. 
That's what they were saying, right? And so I just heard it in a very different way. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I think I intellectually knew and understood that Black women do this thing where we Mm -hmm. are overachievers. But it wasn't until I interviewed Me Too founder Tarana Burke in 2021 when she said overachievement (laughs) is a trauma response. I don't know why it was, maybe it was just, I was ready to hear it. But when she said it, it like hit me like a ton of bricks, Mm -hmm. like, wait, hold up, what? She's like, oh yeah, overachievement is a trauma response. And we are often told messages that, you know, all the way through when you're, you're starting school, you know, I saw myself as someone who like I could overachieve and be loved, be safe, be liked. Um, you know, it was my badge of honor is Tanya is, um, you know, she's a straight A student. She loves to read. She's, you know, in all of these different programs. And that was affirming to me. That's how I received that love. But then it also was a pathway to safety for me that like, okay, I will achieve my way to then going to a good university and then being successful in life. And then ultimately I will be happy because that's what we want. And it wasn't until I slowed down enough, and it's why the uh, psychedelic experience was really powerful for me. And, you know, I, I want to say, because I know we're going to go into this, the psychedelic experience is just an experience that allows you to have um, mm. an interaction with yourself. And there are lots of different ways that people can do that. They can do it through therapy. They can do it through meditation. They can do it a lot of different other ways. But it was this particular way um, having a psilocybin mushroom experience that I had an interaction with myself and I was able mm-hmm. to see it more clearly. I was able to see it without like being, um, like turning it off because that's what we do is like when your emotions get to be too much, then you just turn it off. I was able to look at it and look at myself and see like, oh, okay, I love my city Detroit, like no other place. If you know me, if you, all of my friends, all of the people I've worked with over the last 25 years or so, They'll say, oh, yeah, the second thing you know about Tanya is from, <laughs> she's from Detroit, right? I love Detroit, but I really did. I also never really faced the fact that I don't live there because I also was so afraid mm. and traumatized by it. And it's a complicated thing to have to hold both of those emotions about a place. Um, and then to be able to talk about it freely that, like, yes, I love the place, but I was afraid and I'm afraid to have my children live there and be raised there. And so, Yes, this was a very therapeutic project. And at the same time, I hope it was therapeutic for folks to see themselves. It was, no, it, it was. <laughs> in it it, too. It, for speaking only for this listener, obviously, you know, I understand and I recognize that there is only one way but through it. You can't avoid it, right? And maybe it's because of where I, I was yeah. and I am in my process or in life in terms of slowing down and really thinking about what, not even thinking about it, just feeling it. It just, it hit me in the gut. But before we get further deeper into that, if just for the listeners, and you touched on it, you know, you're, you, t- you talk about psychotherapeutic drugs, right? So before we get there, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about what the show's about and why you, you chose to take that route? Yes. So Truth Be Told is a podcast that's always been um, 
sort of like cheap therapy. We have wise ones on and we take on a particular topic or issue. Um, Oftentimes in our early uh, seasons, we would take questions from the listeners and then have a wise one who has experience through life. You know, they're not an expert like a therapist or someone like that. And they give advice. And there's always been that underpinning of it being nourishing and therapeutic. I knew I wanted to uh, do one more season of the show, um, and I wasn't quite sure how we would take it on, but I knew I wanted to try something different. I wanted to make it more of a narrative show. And I had an idea in mind, but at the same time, I was also taking this opportunity to go on a psilocybin mushroom Hmm. retreat in Jamaica. And I went there with this idea that I'll just see how this goes and maybe an episode from my upcoming season will be about this. Well, I had that experience and it I immediately said, mm. this has to be the entire season. I can't really fit what I experienced into one episode. And it also wouldn't be fair to the listener to have a deeper understanding of this psychedelic renaissance that we're in. There's been so much research over the last 20 to 25 years using psychedelics like psilocybin, um, MDMA, and which is a, a component in ecstasy, and LSD and other psychoactive drugs as a healing modality. And there was this research that I had read um, by Dr. Monica Williams, who was a lead researcher looking at the ways that racism impacts our mental health. She had done this uh, study where she looked at using MDMA to help treat racial trauma and paired with therapy, those who had participated in this study actually had great outcomes where they felt um, they could work through their issues, their problems, their PTSD, their trauma about overt racism, as well as covert, the day-to-day traumas of living as a Black person in America. And so I read that research, and then I had my own experience. And I was like, you know what? We need to slow it down so that I could um, use this show as maybe a starting point for a guide, as a guide for Black people who are listening to the show, because this psychedelic renaissance is going to be something that we are going to see more and more of. Folks who are in this space in the next five to 10 years, they want to have um, psychedelic treatment centers in cities all throughout America. So it's going to be something you'll see just like you see a pot shop dispensary. You're also going to see these psychedelic stores and centers. And so I wanted to have the beginning of a roadmap for folks so they could say, oh, yeah, I've heard of this before. I know about this. Or maybe I am interested in partaking myself Which, for the purposes I mean, of healing. Which, I all of that, yes. But it, in some ways, it's also such a huge task because of Black America's relationship to drugs or Black people's relationship, period, to drugs. Like, we are scared of them we are scared away from them um and politically you know that's that's the personal part and politically we are punished if we use them you know in in you know disproportionately in that sense so you know that I thought was really interesting because what you what you do in the show is you do um you do reclaim or challenge a narrative that we have around drugs and black and black Americans in particular relationship with and I'm I'm being generalistic when I use the word drugs right because it's not all the things right you're being very specific on the show but this idea of something mm-hmm. that can alter the mind um, we're told to stay away from um, and so you yeah and lots of different lots things do that alcohol mm-hmm. does that 
you know. Um, right. But lots of different reasons why we're skeptical. And, you know, when I came back from my uh, psilocybin mushroom journey and I decided that I would dedicate the entire season to it, I started reaching out to experts and folks who had also, um, that I had learned just through research, had also um, gone through psychedelic therapy. And the number one thing they always talked about mm-hmm. was the trauma around the war on drugs. And so I realized after I talked to like the third or fourth person that in crafting this season, we're mm. going to have to take on that issue. We are traumatized by the war on drugs. Also, we are very skeptical yep. of altered states of consciousness because of our skepticism of medicine for good reason. Um, you know, we often bring up the Tuskegee um, experiments, the syphilis experiments, and there were many more. And so because of that, we couldn't step into this this uh, new world of psychedelic healing without taking on those real issues and the skepticism and, around and you, them. And you do that really, really well. I found myself going, oh, yeah, you're right. And I'm laughing because I was in the UK, you know, the war on drugs still goes on. We know that. But I remember the Just Say No campaign, right? <laughs> Which is a very specific Experience, right. I mean, but we had our own version of it. We took the song, the the slogan in the song from Nancy Reagan and oh, the Reagans, yeah. and a, a bunch of like child stars did a whole song called "Just Say No," which I think went to number one. And we we're all seeing like, "Yeah, it's great." <laughs> so, like looking back, I'm like, "That's wild." Right. I mean, yes, the war on drugs was a global mm-hmm. effort. It is a global effort. It was not just in the United States, and. That was intentional by the U.S. government. So, yes, in the U.K., we actually have a guest Mm -hmm. on, Camille Barton, who is from North London, who um, talked quite extensively with us about how she was impacted by the war on drugs growing up, too. So, yes, this is something that is global. How um, was your experience? I want to get a little personal here because I'm just like, whoa, how did it feel like this sounds? On one hand, it feels like you got something. But on the other hand, wow, how deep. How did it? Um, how did it feel for you this the letting go of so much? You come you you come across as a, a pretty relaxed person, um, you know, someone who has a lot of joy in their life, and and without giving too much away, you know, we're not shaped by we're not necessarily held by the things that have happened to us, but a lot has happened, um, um, in your childhood. But you seem like a very joyful person, and um, you took these drugs, the psychedelic therapies. I want to say, um. And so but the first thing I thought was, how did it feel to just let go? How did it feel, Tonya? Mm. Okay, so I want to address like yeah. me being a joyful person. Of course, I mean, I think I want mm-hmm. to be a joyful person. And so um, I really lean into that. I think more so a way to describe okay. me as an optimistic person. Mm-hmm. I think I always have been that way. But um, I had a friend... Uh, point something out to me many years ago. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. She was like, the more stressed out you are, the more um, things are chaotic in your life, the more calm you are. Like you are someone who like really dials it down. Like you are the calmest person in the room when things are going crazy. And that's because things are going crazy inside of me. It's like a coping mechanism. Like if you ever see me not excited and I'm just chilling and it's like a crazy thing happening, that is because there's a war going on inside of me. So I do want to say that. And also though, I am someone who really loves to be in control. I'm a type A person. I am that way in my personal life and my work life. Um, and so letting go is something that I have a hard time doing. <laughs> Even when I have a massage, like 
I've had them say, we can feel you <laughs> tensing up. Just relax. Okay. Just relax. You know, and I'm like, I'm trying. I don't know, like, what, it, what is my body supposed to do? I don't know. So going to this retreat, I didn't, I was a little concerned about what would come up for me because, um, you know, I wouldn't have control of anything. I would be in an altered state of consciousness. So I happened to be the last person. I was with a group of people and I was the last person among my cohort to actually feel the mushrooms. And I had to, I took twice as much as everyone else. They gave, they kept giving it to me and monitoring me because I wasn't feeling anything. And I later learned that that is something that um, a lot of folks who have control issues deal with. You have to let go. And finally, I decided I'm going to let go. And when I let Mm -hmm. go, wow. I mean, I will just say, Christabel, it felt like the warmest, like, I don't know, like if you're in a snuggly bed and like, it's the best, like the, the mattress is just the right you know, firmness and you have the snuggly covers and you are just like, I mean, as relaxed as you could be. That's like the the most, I don't know. That's how I would describe it. And I was taken on this journey. I thought that maybe work stuff would come up for me. I thought maybe relationship stuff might come up for me. It was all about my family. It was all about my family. Like, folks who have passed on, folks who are still alive. I had interactions with every single member of my family, and I didn't expect that to be what would come up for me. And it's one of the greatest gifts that I've ever gotten because I was able to hold so much compassion. I was able to see more clearly Mm -hmm. about the choices that family members made. And um, I realized also that I don't need to be Mm. so in control all the time. Like, mm-hmm. isn't that such a gift where I was like, I go. need to let go. Like, I'm not responsible for this person's happiness mm-hmm. that came up for me. I'm not responsible for the things I did when I was younger and neither are mm-hmm. the people who I love. And so I will say that experts often say, and it's true for me, that after you have an experience like that, you will be processing it for a while after. It could be upwards of a year. And it's been nine months and I'm, wow. things are still revealed to me. I'll still think back on it and think, wow. okay, that's what that meant. I'm having these conversations with myself and able to put things in context in ways that um, maybe my trauma or my fear prevented me from facing. Thanks for listening to The Cypher Podcast with me, Christabel Nsiabwadi. Sign up for our newsletter at www.thecypherpod.com. Do you feel more liberated? I mean, that's one of the tenets of, of the show from a personal perspective. I do feel more liberated. And I'll tell you, um, this is going to make me emotional. The thing that I feel the most liberated by is around my relationship with my children. Like it was revealed to me during that psilocybin journey, like that my daughter who's 16, that she just needs me um, to be there to hear her. Like I need to not try to be the authoritarian parent. I need to be there to hear. She needs that. My son needs to, um, he needs to know about 
family members who have passed on because it, it will help him understand himself. And I have some very um, traumatic ways that some family members passed on, and we never talked about them. We never talk about them, in, in part because it's really painful to talk about them. But it became clear to me that like talking about them helps my children mm-hmm. understand themselves. They need to know about their their lineage and their history. That was such a gift. Last night, my daughter and I got into it about something really, really silly. And then I realized, wait a minute, am I being the mother that she needs of me? Like, what is she saying to me? She's The things that she's talking to me about is not actually what she's saying to me. Let me slow down a minute. And so I asked her, and we actually were able to have a deeper, more meaningful conversation. And I will say, last year this time, I would have just been the authoritarian parent. I would have been like, no, this is the way it is. This is silly. This is dumb. Mm. Done. You know? Um, I just got goosebumps yeah. listening to that because as parents, as black mothers as well, I think we certain certain things are modeled on us that, that come through fear and, and protection. And so this idea of being like, mm-hmm. um, wait, what is it that you need? Not that we don't ask that question, but you, you, the, hearing you say, okay, now I took a minute. And then we acted upon that and we had a deeper connection. And quite frankly, just hearing you say that your 16-year-old daughter just needed you to hear her, I got goosebumps. I nearly cried. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And I mean, that all happened in my mind where I was like, okay, I'm responding to her the right. way my right. mother responded to me. <laughs> and so, it, you know, I think that's the gift is that it wasn't like it didn't stop the argument. Like we had been arguing for about like 20 minutes before then. And then I just thought about it and I said, wait a minute, let me slow down here. But that is, that is what it means to get closer to this idea of liberation. Liberation is not a destination. It is like work in progress. You encounter things, you, you improve yourself and then you're able to act on it Mm. with every situation. The work, the work. Now I heard you say earlier in our conversation that you wanted to do one more season. Does this mean we're not having any more truth be told? That's not true. No, no, no. I was like, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I will say, you know, I am I am thinking deeply about what what I'm going to take on mm. for future seasons, mm. what that's going to look like, and I'm in the midst of that right now. It's it's a departure from what you did previously in some ways. It's still, um, you know, narrative, and you you still interview people. But this just felt. It's not just that it was personal. It was the way in which you really delve into it. I I don't think I've heard very many other podcasts. That, you know, I think as audio people, we often talk about creating a world, right? Um, How do you create a world in the script? And I don't know if it's because you brought yourself to it in in ways that as journalists or as trained journalists, as former journalists, we still fight against sometimes. Um, But I was very much immersed in it. I listened to it sitting outside the gym, (laughs) my gym, for a few hours. And I was just like, and then I was just like, oh, I've got to go, you know? And like I said earlier... There were times when I had to pause it and it didn't leave me. And it wasn't just because of the subject matter. It wasn't because it tapped into something that as a global black person, as someone who's not black American, I could relate to because you can relate to everybody. Right. And and as a black person, yeah, it's a human experience. A human and as a black person, yeah. there, there are things that I understood very viscerally. Um, I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to, Put my finger on what it is there is a world that you created and you talk to people all over the world 
and you talked about um, the relationships that black and brown and indigenous cultures have with regards to grief and how and how people heal from that that relationship and how we've been disconnected from each other which is another thing that really resonated with me sometimes I think we often do feel disconnected and somehow these psycho psychotherapeutic is psychotherapeutic am I saying that right please correct me you know, I mean, they're psychoactive drugs and plant medicines. So oftentimes people want to, like, they refer to psychedelics as plant medicine, mm-hmm. and they don't like to use that term. I use the term psychedelics because um, I'm also talking about mm-hmm. MDMA and LSD, which were made in a lab, but they have some of those same properties right. as plant medicines like psilocybin. Thank you so much for, I mean, hearing you, Christabel, talk about it is very meaningful for me. And that may be the only way that I, how I, can describe maybe why this season might feel different is that um, I really leaned into the truth as much as I could, like into my truth and like stepping out of the conventions of what journalism tells us how we should do it, um, the different ways that you bring in this thought, you bring in this thought, you, you know, you keep yourself out of the story. Um, And part of that came from when I knew, okay, if I'm going to talk about my psychedelic experience, I've got to be as real and true as possible. And so starting at that point gave me the roadmap in how to interact with others and also have them bring their truths out. There's also a wonderful audio editor, Arwen uh, Nix, who I love. And she has said to me in the past on another project, like she asks herself, six different times when she has a question, (laughs) why? And I did that. I I asked like, okay, I'm going to this psychedelic retreat. Why? I had, you know, this particular experience. Why? And then if you keep going, like that sixth why is like as close Mm. to the truth as you can get, you know? And so getting that, trying to get as close to that in this podcast, I think might be the way and the reasons why it feels Mm-hmm. Close, different. It feels close. You know, I think oftentimes we listen to podcasts, and and that's mm-hmm. fine. You know, like every every show has its own reason, and not podcast content in general. You know, and everything serves its own purpose. Um, yeah. But I think oftentimes shows we talk about the the intimacy of audio, and the shows try to draw us in. It just felt close, and again, I don't think it's because I am a black woman in America. It felt close. Um, so I want to, I want to thank you for that. In the, in the time that we have left, I also want to, um, congratulate you on, um, becoming the co-host of Fresh Air who, for our American listeners that will know who listen to public media, cause not everybody listens to public media, but it's a, it's a big deal peoples. Um, right. how are you feeling about that? Oh, I'm, I am tremendously overwhelmed mm-hmm. it's a dream come true and it's funny you say because not everyone listens to public radio yeah the majority <laughs> of my family doesn't so it's a big it's a big deal but like my what? grandma and my cousins are like so what oh Tanya's hosting <laughs> another show okay you know whatever yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> not whatever they're happy for me but you know it carries different weight with different audiences um I will say I'm it is a dream come true because, you know, when I was a television reporter many, many years ago, I used to listen to public media and I always felt like that was a space for me. And I would listen to Fresh Air and, um, okay, I'm about to tell you something, Christabel, that mm-hmm. I haven't said out loud to anyone, but I used to listen to the show and I used to say, oh, I, 
I can do that. That's that's my show. Like all they need to all they need to do is hear me and they would hear me and they would be like, "Okay, we've got to have you on the show." Now, I don't see that as egotistical. I actually just see it as uh-huh. like I was able to see myself there. Um, but I knew that like there was a lot of work between uh-huh. then and now. I knew that there was a lot I needed to learn a lot and I did in the the 10 15 years since I first had that thought. Um and I'm happy that it it has happened now. I don't think anything happens by mistake. The timing of this season of Truth Be Told and this appointment to this uh, position, it you know I was a uh, an NPR host pre- previously on the show here and now, and that was a news show, and I brought with it kind of a news persona. And one of the challenges of that was that I you know I'm in this white space, and you're kind of like mm-hmm. trying to push through who you are, like. And, and why it's important, why who you are is important is that it allows your colleagues and the audience to also understand that there are, there are lots of different types of people in this world and our interests and our thoughts and our ideas are important. And so that's why my identity is so important because I'm bringing that. And this is so great because I, I've done this podcast where I am so deeply personal, more personal than I've ever been. And it's out there. And everybody already knows. And I'm stepping into this job with my new colleagues mm-hmm. knowing all of this too. And so I don't have to show and prove myself. I'm like, this is who I am. That is such a tremendous gift. I love that. And role. I love that um, for the reasons that you've outlined, because I remember in our previous conversation, we talked about you leaving the previous role um, at, at, a, at, a, at a time where you, you, it wasn't just that you didn't feel seen. It was traumatizing actually, because they were making you talk about um, black yeah. death all the time, which, you know, journalists, black journalists tend to be mm-hmm. in the height of the, pandemic. the height of the pandemic. And so I'm listening to you now and I'm thinking about that conversation and the reasons about why you left. And then you said, oh, I just needed them to hear me and to see me. And I think to myself, you got the job because they heard you. You got the job because they heard mm. they did but they did Ooh, right they Christabel. heard you on, yes. the, on the podcast yes um mm-hmm. they heard you speak out about why you couldn't do journalism like that anymore and what I see um of you from your work is that you stepped into a fuller version of yourself right like you say liberation is the journey the, the, a fullest version of yourself and they saw you and this did not happen in the middle of a pandemic this happened because they saw you and because you, you said, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And so that is a one, like, congratulations on that. I think that's really wonderful. And then add to that, like, I've listened to your, your, one of my favorite um, interviews and it's not a bias because I'm British as well and Ghanaian, but it's uh, your conversation with Edward Enifel. And (laughs) so I'm, yeah, so I'm also. Yes. Gosh, I love love him. him My goodness. Um, if you're listening, Edward, just putting it out there. But um, but even when I think about the interviews that you do and the way you bring your full self into your uh, to the conversations, you have. I'm going to take this. I'm going. I'm going to see it in this way. You have said this is who I am, and I'm not doing it in, in any other way. I'm not going to do it on any other terms. Which was your goal for yourself? I remember you talking about that in a previous conversation, and you're here doing the show that you wanted to do on your terms. Mm. I say. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Hearing the words come out of your mouth saying that is so meaningful Mm. to me. And I really appreciate it because 
it is a lifelong journey to to be your full self. It's a work in progress. And um, I'm happy I'm here. I think we often, we, we, not often, all the time, we glamorize youth. We glamorize like this idea that like you're supposed to have made it and know everything about yourself and be at your highest self in your twenties, you know, maybe maybe early thirties by that time is over. And so for me to be at this age that I am now in my forties and to feel more like myself than I ever have while also like loving who I am, not caring about trying to be someone else and standing in my place and my purpose it's such a gratifying feeling. And it also, like the show is of service. The work that I do is of service. And so the purpose of me revealing myself is also Mm -hmm. to say, this is you. Like I want people to see themselves in me because there've been so many people that I've seen myself in um, growing up that, you know, I can look back and think like that was their purpose is to allow me to like take that next step by seeing myself in them. Tanya, well, Thank you very much for being of service. Thank you so much. Thank you, you know, for being of service. I'm just taking inspiration <laughs> you from you amazing. also. Um, and just, just I'm glad I'm glad that uh, we're going to get some more <laughs> truth be told. Because I was like, wait, what? Maybe one more season. But we're going to get more excellent. I am thankful that you're doing that work. Tonya Mosley, thank you so much again for joining us on The Cypher. And for, for and for being yourself. Thank oh, you absolutely. Me, and for showing us the way. And uh, I'm gonna be thinking about um, I'm gonna be thinking about how I get myself free and maybe trying different ways to do that. Oh yeah. Okay, let's hook up and <laughs> you got it. Let's get Thank together. you so much, Tony. <laughs> That is the end of my conversation with Tonya Mosley. She's the host of the award-winning podcast, Truth Be Told. She's also the co-host of Fresh Air on NPR. And I urge you all, and I think you heard me talk about this in the interview, check out her interview with Edward Enneville. Join us next time for another powerful interview with another change maker. Don't forget to visit our website, thecypherpod.com, to listen to our show archives and to subscribe to get new episodes direct into your inbox. Our production team includes Cerise Small, Larissa Witcher, Eugene Kidd, and Ty Hughes. I'm Christabel Nsiapwadi. Thank you so much for listening. The Cypher is a production of My Lens Media 